as an empty cup designed for you to fill us and pour us out again. God, like Brother Dixon sang, we are in need of living water. For many of us, life has become extremely dry. And there's no place we can turn to have our soul refreshed and quenched but to you. So living water, pour out thyself today into the lives of these your servants that we may be the vessels you desire to use and live through yet another week. Would you remember our pastor today that his feet are but clay? Give him, Lord, preaching power and preaching permission that preaching may be done. And then the end thereof, we'll be kind and mindful to give you all the glory and you all the praise. We love you for all that you're doing here. You will do and shall do. We offer these things to you now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. There you will find in verse 12 our reading for your hearing. I want to thank the choir for that amazing, amazing ministry of worship. Come on, we ought to at least say amen. Thank you for your hours and hours of labor so that we may see the king who is high and lifted up. 1 Samuel chapter 2, I want to welcome our visitors to the New Beginnings Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. And that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family. And today, our exegetical work has us in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you are from one of those churches where they don't say amen, just listen in. You'll catch the cue. Amen. Somebody around you will tell you when to say something. Amen. 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. If you got it, say, I got it, Reverend. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. and They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with the three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was yet boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. 
Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, No but you'll give it to me now or I'll take it by force. Yeah, that was a gangster in the temple. <laughs> Y'all catch that on the way out. So therefore the sin of the young men were very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel, he ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. And moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah. And so she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now, Eli was very old. And he had heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Somebody say they were evil preachers. And so he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. And if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord... Who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel, he grew in stature and in favor with both the Lord and men. And then a man came from God to Eli and he said, Thus said the Lord, Eli, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel that were made by fire? Then why do you kick at my sacrifice? And my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place. And why do you honor your sons more than me? To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Amen. I want to tag this sad message today. What happens when the preacher's kids go bad? You may be seated. What happens 
when the preacher's kids go bad. Reverend Mason, it's good to see you. And I found out, Reverend, that one of the most scariest stories in all of the scripture is found right here in our text today. For the story of the preacher's kids who get wild, destructive, and anti-God is listed in this passage. The Bible tells us that they cause havoc in the temple, destruction in their daddy's ministry, and they bring the wrath of God down upon the servant of God. And they do this because the servant of God doesn't have the discipline himself to control them, rebuke them, check them, and teach them what the scriptures say about sin and wicked behavior in the house of God. I'm afraid today for those pastors and deacons and teachers and Christian leaders and God-fearing parents who won't warn their children who have grown up in the house of God about what sin will make God do. Today's message is a warning to those of us who have kids and those of us who don't have kids. The warning is that God ain't playing with the things of God. In other words, he's serious about holiness. And he means business about his people, his positions, and his places that have been set aside. As holy unto him. So I pray today, family, that we learn to fear him, obey him, and live a life for him that's set apart for his honor and his glory. I got three points I'm going to wrestle with today, and I expect it to be pretty solemn in here today. I'm okay with that. Number one, what happens when the preacher's kids go bad? We get to see, first of all, the description of Eli's sons. The descriptions of Eli's sons. Number two, we get to look at the deception of Eli's sons. The deceptions of Eli's son. And then we get to look at the disappointment or or the disobedience of Eli regarding his sons, regarding his sons. Y'all going to help me study today? Well, let's walk through the verse. Verse 12, the text says, Now the sons of Eli, who was the priest, were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. The first thing I noticed, Reverend Blackburn, in this text is that Mr. and Mrs. Eli have two boys, and they are devilish. The beginning of the story simply lets you and I know that it's possible for ministry leaders to have kids that don't walk with God. 
I like what the old King James says about verse 12. He says, it says, they are sons of Belial. Sons of the devil. Can I say some more? That this is interesting because this text opens this way because the author is trying to make a stark contrast between Eli's natural son and his spiritual son, Samuel. Can I say some more? You can speculate on a lot of things from the introduction of this, this passage, but don't ever make it up. What? Look it up. Why? Because this passage must be read carefully and delicately unless you miss something critical for your learning. Like the fact that if they are sons of the devil and sons of Eli, then why has God's priests become corrupt? Because corruption is caught and taught. Y'all in here? Why has his sons failed to follow the Lord? This very first verse alarms me, Mason, that the reader, uh, yeah, needs to know there's something wrong in the preacher's house. See, if the preacher was responsible for fighting a good fight of spiritual warfare for the people of God, how did he end up having two sons that now work for the devil? What happened in his leadership in his house? How did his own children turn out to be evil if he was modeling what was right before the community? observation here it's possible to have kids that don't follow their parents it's possible to have kids that don't love the lord it's possible to have kids courtney that don't want nothing to do with god and it is possible to have a religious life in the community but a different life at home These boys are filled with hell inside of them. And as a result, they become gangsters in the house of God. And as a result, their activities have caused the Lord's people to despise worship in the house of God. Our text begins by saying they were corrupt. Did you catch that right there? And they did not know the Lord. Now, here is where I believe Eli, as the head of the family, is to blame. He's to blame because he put them in position in the ministry, inside of the Lord's house, knowing that they were wicked and unbelieving men. The priests was responsible for the ministry of the Lord's house. Y'all in here? This was not Eli's personal house, but it was the Lord's house. And because they were corrupt, they were disqualified from being servants of the living God to work over God's people. So Eli is to blame because God left him in charge of the ministry. And whoever Eli let serve in the Lord's house was the responsibility of Eli. 
Can I say some more? The text clearly identifies for us in verse 12, they were not only corrupt, but they did not know the Lord. The word know in the Hebrew is an intimate word. It means to know intimately. They were not intimate with God as priests who should have been. Are you in here now? Can I park the car and waddle right there? It's possible to have the title, but not the testimony. You shake a tree in Fresno and a preacher will fall out. That don't mean they know the Lord. Am I talking to you? I'm troubled by this text today. Because Eli let them serve in the temple... When they were anti-God. See, you either for God or you are. They didn't know God. And he knew it. Can I say some more? They didn't worship God. And he. They didn't serve God, nor did they have a God-like character. And he. They were not pro-God, for God, following God, living for God, interested in the things of God. Yet their daddy allowed them to handle the things of God. My question is, I almost said, what in the hell is wrong with Eli? But I forgot, I'm at New Beginnings, I can't say that. <laughs> what was Eli thinking? Hell ain't a bad word. Some of y'all going there. Hopefully after this sermon, you'll change your destination. What was Eli thinking? What was Eli hoping for? What was he believing would happen when those who were against God handled the holy things of God? Did he think that something good was going to come from this? Was he hoping that he might or they might get converted if they labored in the church, hung around the church? What was he hoping might happen to them? Would they somehow warm up to the idea that serving God was the right occupation for them? Was Eli thinking, Jamel, that his, this was his family's business, the priesthood? Was he thinking that they might change along the way if he gave them some responsibility in the house of God? What was his mind on to put them over the holy sacrifices of God? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know to all of those questions. But Eli's decision to put his children over God's things ought to be a warning for every parent in this house today. See, every parent who believes that their unsaved, their unsaved child rather can handle the things of God with fear and reverence and honor and holy integrity is kidding themselves. Eli's decision ought to remind all of us that you can't trust sacred things to sinful people. Eli's decision ought to help you and I see that it's dangerous to let the wicked represent your God when they're disqualified for service, even if they are your flesh and blood. 
Warren Wiersbe commenting on this text says this. He says, Wilson, how tragic it is when the servant of the Lord fails to win his own kids to the Lord. So busy preaching around the world, writing books, making CDs, making movies, cranking out all of this, and your own baby's going to hell. And I want to echo that. How tragic for a man or a woman of God to claim they represent God but can't even convert their own household. What a tragedy. What a horrific thing. What a horrible way to do ministry. What a description of Eli's son. Look at the deceptions of Eli's son. Verse 13. The Bible says, and the priest's custom, y'all in here? Some of y'all still mad because I said hell. Shake it. And the priest's priest custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was still boiling. Now, the reason why the author is saying this is because Eli's sons are wrong for interrupting the preparation of the sacrificial offering. Are you in here now? Verse 14, then not only would they thrust a the little pitchfork in to the, to the boiling water or to the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, the priest would then take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. And so they did this in Shiloh to all the Israelites. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because in Leviticus, the priest was told you could only have a certain portion of the meat. It had to come from the shoulder or the breast. You were never responsible for taking all of the offering. Can I say some more? Verse 15 said, and also, somebody say also. Before they even burned the fat off the meat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give me meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. That's a gangster right there. And if the man said to him, well, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires the priest servant would answer him, no, you must give it to me now raw or I'll take it by force. They were not doing this to people. They were doing this to God. Y'all missed it. Can I say some more? When we come to this portion of the text, we get what I call, Reverend Tong, is a distinct picture of their demonic and vile behavior before God in their ministry. They had no fear of God because they did not know God. Can I say some more? This was demonic behavior because it was designed to defile the sacrifices of God. And it was to discourage the worshipers from giving and loving the Lord. It was demonic because it was designed to sabotage the worship experience. And it was happening from those called the priesthood who was responsible 
for cultivating and nurturing the worship experience. Are you with me here? Every priest was responsible for the worship experience in the house of God. And when they now attack it and defile it, it ain't nothing but the devil. That's why the old King James calls them the sons of Belial. Can I say some more? When I look at the text take, evidently Eli allowed for his sons to conduct this sacred portion of the ministry. And here we see them robbing from the people, watch this now, to feed their flesh. The priests weren't paid with money back then where they were paid with food. And so they weren't happy with the allotted portion that God had given to them, so they demanded more than what God had ordered them to have. One scholar commenting on this text says, they despised the link of sacrifice between God and the human race. They despised it. Uh, let me say it another way. They didn't care for God's order of redemption. And by despising the order of redemption, they hijacked what they wanted for themselves. They had no idea that the sacrifice wore foreshadow or a picture of what was to come. So to despise it in the Old Testament is to despise it in the New Testament. Anybody that despises the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ despises the sacrificial offerings of God. And as a result, their immorality approached the immorality of the rituals of the pagan cultures that were around them. See, the pagan cultures had sacrificial systems too. But they were sacrificial systems that only appeased the flesh. So they would offer up virgins and, and baby girls and then they would have sexual orgies on their altars of sacrifice because they believed that they could save themselves by works. Are you with me here? And in order to redeem themselves, they worked out their immorality and offered it up to their pagan gods. Can I say some more? Eli knew his son's behavior. And therefore, because he didn't say nothing, he became a silent participant. His silent actions made him a participant of his children's sins against God. It's almost as if he feared them more than God. Woe to you parents who honor your babies more than you honor God. Woe to you parents who are afraid to tell your kids you out of bounds when you sin against God. Woe to you parents who are trying to be friends and homies with your kids. Where you get that foolishness from? The Bible are never called a parent to be a homeboy and a homegirl to their kids. I don't care what secular psychiatrists tell you. You're wrong if you're trying to drink and dance and hang and kick it with your kids. They're going to learn how to follow God or reject God by what you show them. 
That ain't in my notes, but it just felt good right there. In verses 13 through 16, the writer describes the violation of the priest in the ritual offerings for worship. That's what he's getting at. The priest was to live of the sacrifices in the temple, y'all. He was to survive off of what the people gave. But here you see them taking it from the people by violence because it has been prepared for God in worship. They were to wait until after God got his first. And then they were to live off of it. And there was plenty for their survival. When you read later on in the text, you see that Eli is so fat, he dies and breaks his neck. His own flesh, gluttony, had taken over him. And that's why he wouldn't stop his own kids. Can I say some more? His flesh and greed for the things of God. Caused them to act like gangsters in the house of God. Can I say some more? We ain't got no business as priests being like gangsters over the things of God. We ain't gangsters. We shepherds. Now I know every now and then I may have an internal gangster in me. Because of where he saved me from. But I got to fight that monster. Y'all don't want me to be no gangster. You better ask somebody. Come on, talk to me. No, you don't want me to go there. Because there may not be no return. And to have a gangster attitude in the house of God is scary before a holy God. They were robbing God while they called themselves ministering to his people. Listen to the tenor and tone of the text, just in case you think I'm making it up. They said, and if the man said to them, they really must burn the fat first, which was correct, then you may take as much as you, your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if you don't, I'll take it by force. This was demonic again. Why? Because it violated the spirit of worship. It violated the spirit of sacrifice, submission, and holiness in the affairs of God and in God's house. Here's your application for you. We must be careful, family, putting ungodly children over holy things. We must be careful to treat God's stuff, uh, must be careful, rather, to not treat God's stuff lightly as if anyone could handle them or administer them. Y'all with me here? This text, brother preachers, is also about stewardship. What do you mean, pastor? It's about stewardship in that Eli was made a steward of God for the things of God. But as a parent, he didn't train his children to love the Lord, obey the Lord, follow the Lord, serve the Lord, and fear the Lord. And as a result, he became a bad steward over that which God trusted in his hands. He raised heathens in the house of God as he served as the priests of God. Got another question for you. Is it really possible to be in professional ministry and be divorced from the stuff you preach about?
Is it possible to say one thing in public but live something else at home? Is it possible to be a role model in a pulpit but a dysfunctional parent at home? Is it possible for people to think you have it all together but in reality uh, your family is out of control? Is it possible to be like Pastor Eli, whose children are the worst kids in the neighborhood? And you call yourself a leader in God's house. Can I ask another question? What do you do when your children don't love the God who you serve? Well, what do you do when your family despises the book you live by. What do you do when your babies don't believe the Bible? What do you do when those you love don't want your faith, don't want your worship, and will not have a relationship with God? I don't know. The answer to all of that, but I know what you don't do. You don't try and win them by giving them a holy job. Handling the sacred things of God in the ministry. You don't give them a job in the church working with God's people. And trying to teach other people how to worship God when they don't know God themselves. You don't give them a job representing the God to the neighborhood. You don't put them over people to serve people because they will harm people. Eli's sons didn't fear God. And that's why they were a danger to the sheep of Israel. The text says in verse 17 that therefore the sin of the young men, y'all see that? Was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. According to this one verse, uh, Minister Wilson, they were responsible for the people in Shiloh hating to give God their very best. They were the thieves of Shiloh causing havoc in the ministry of God. They were the disgrace of Shiloh because of what they caused the children of God to experience. They were working for Belial and causing God's people to stumble at his sacrifice. And all this was done. And what I call Anthony is the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. But God had a servant in the midst of them who was not like Eli's sons. Can I park the car right there? See, see, all this was done and God saw it. And you got to go back and get last week's sermon to see how he blessed Hannah to give him a new servant. Because God was getting ready to replace the corrupt preacher. With his own preacher. Am I making sense here? And Samuel was a different kind of servant. He was called of the Lord and placed in the temple to be used of God. 
He was a different kind of son in the ministry. Now, this is a reminder to me, Brother Tommy, I wrote myself a note that every kid in the church won't turn out bad. Even when the preacher's kids go bad. Look at the contrast of children in verse 18, 19, or 18 through 21. The Bible says, but Samuel, y'all see that there? Minister to the Lord. Even as a child wearing a linen ephah. Can I unpack it? Verse 17 comes before 18. In verse 17, Eli's boys did wicked or great sin before God. But in verse 18, but Samuel. Ah, y'all catch it now? He ministered to the Lord. So God was displeased with this group of preachers, but pleased with this one. And they all in the same house. Y'all in here? Samuel wore a linen ephod before the Lord. It was a priest garment that was handed down from God to minister in the house of the Lord. Verse 19. Moreover, his mother used to bring him a little robe every time she came up every year with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Verse 20. And Eli, yes, would bless Elkanah and his wife and say that the Lord will give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And then they would go back to their home. Verse 21. Then the Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and bore three more sons. And two daughters. And then watch this. I love this verse 21. And meanwhile. Y'all see that there? The child Samuel grew. Y'all caught it? Before the Lord. Watch this now. So while all the evil and corruption is happening in the house of God, God is not pleased with the behavior and he's going to judge sin. He's also at work in his church and he's called a young man out of obscurity, out of nowhere, who's a miracle baby. I told you that last week. And he's poured into him something unique. So much so that God is pleased with him, even in the midst of a corrupt priesthood. The first thing we see in the change in our story is that, again, Eli's sons were doing evil, but God's messenger was not. Samuel represents the child of God with a heart for the things of God. He's in the midst of corruption, but he himself is not corrupt. So in other words, preachers, it's possible to be in the presence of evil, but not give in to the activity of evil. Whole lot of false preachers in the land. Whole lot of them doing evil things in the house of God. But it's possible for you to be on the up and up. Y'all catch that right there? I wrote myself a note here. Though his colleagues were wicked, he was not. He represents everything good and beautiful about the ministry, Brother Gray, and the service in the kingdom of God. Whole lot in here I want to unpack, but for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize it. Mama would come up every year, and she'd bring him a new priest robe. It was a reminder to him that he was set apart. From everybody else who came in the temple. It was a reminder to him that God had a vow on his life. And he was to live his life in the temple before God. 
And because Samuel was wearing these garments and serving in the ministry, he wore the ephod of God. He was handpicked. Hands had been laid on him. He was able to move even in the wickedness without being corrupted. He was in tune with God. He was being nurtured for ministry and he had the ministry on his mind. And all of this was done in the presence of the corrupt priesthood. Can I say some more? You don't hear nothing about Hopney and Phineas wearing the ephod. You don't hear nothing about them having a the heart of God or the favor of God on their life. I told you earlier, it's possible to have the title but not the testimony. Am I making sense? What a contrast between these verses and verses 12 through 17. Eli's sons, watch this, grew up in the temple but turned out evil. Samuel grows up in the temple but turns out holy. Eli's sons are his own flesh and blood, but they despise the things of God. Samuel is not his flesh and blood, but his son in the ministry who loves the things of God. What a contrast. This says to us that God will not suffer his temple to be defamed by wickedness forever. He always has a servant he can raise up to minister before him in a wicked generation. Well, some texts in the Bible are just solemn. Now, you don't need to even say amen. Sometimes you need to just say, mercy, Lord. So we've looked at the description of Eli's sons, the deceptions of Eli's sons. But let's put blame where blame is due now. Let's close by looking at the disobedience of Eli regarding his sons. Can y'all hold, hold fast with me for a little bit? Look at verse 22. It's loaded. Now Eli was very old. And then there's a semicolon. And in his old age, he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel. He heard how they laid with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Can I pause right there? Everybody coming to the temple ain't coming to worship. It's in the text. They only came to the door of the tabernacle. They had no intentions on coming in worshiping. They came to feed their flesh. Flesh recognized flesh. Somebody from the hood would say game recognized. You can find evil in the church if you're looking for it. You find the gossipers if you're one of them. I'm talking to you. I sure am. You can find the liars if you're one of them. Because everybody ain't came here to worship. Can I say some more? Eli heard 
the hustle that his children were involved in. And so he said to them in verse 22, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings before all the people. Crystal daughter, he says, no, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear. Because you make the Lord's people to transgress. You're causing them to sin is what he's saying. And if any man sins against another, God will judge him. He says, but if a man sins against the Lord, who's going to intercede for him? And then this verse, 25b, don't make it up, look it up, says, nevertheless, y'all see that? They didn't take heed to the voice of their father. Why, pastor? Because the Lord desired to kill them. Can I say something right there? God had given them over in their thinking. Because their hearts were against God. So he closed even their ears to sound rebuke. Why? Because sin had a course. And all sin must be paid for with death. Can I say some more? And then look at verse 26. It shifts again. And the child Samuel, he grew in stature. Now he's talking physically. And in favor with both the Lord and men. It's like God expedited his growth. Because death is on the horizon for these others. Am I making sense here? Then the Bible says that a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did not I clearly reveal myself to your father in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did not I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar the burnt, to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? Eli, did not call your father to do this? And, and did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel that were made by fire? And then he says in 29, so why, Eli, do you and your boys kick in my sacrificial offering? I've already given you everything you need. And why have, yes, you honored your sons more than me? Well, as we come to the close of this verse, let me fill in the gaps and take my seat. We discover instantly that Eli is old, which means he's watched his behavior a long time. And as an old man, instead of becoming, uh, brother, uh, brother, sisters, more sturdy in his theology, He's become weak and flexible and flimsy and tolerant of evil behavior. Old men are supposed to be stable, solid, 
Ain't no wavering. They believe what they believe, and ain't nothing going to change their mind. Come on, talk to me, old brothers. You know, it's a shame to get old and get flimsy with what you believe. And now as a result, he becomes weak in his stewardship. Listen, you weak when you young. You strong when you old. Come on, talk to me. You ought to make foolish mistakes as a boy. But when you become a man, you ought not have that same story. There ought to be some things that just miss you. Come on, talk to me. You ain't going for the okey-doke at 51. It may get you at 21. But at 51, come on, talk to me. The semen ought to be solid on your theology. You ought not be confused if it's right for a man to marry a man. And a woman to marry a woman. Come on, talk to me. You ought not be confused about uh, uh, a Gemini or a Leo. You ought to be solid in some theology. And Eli here is flimsy. And the only reason why he approaches his sons is because the church now keep bugging him about their behavior. And he talks to them about what he's hearing. And he says to them, uh, it's not good. But the problem with this is he's compromised his standards of holiness. And because he compromised a long time ago, his kids ain't going to hear him now. Can I turn the light on right there? It may hurt a little bit. Can I turn it on? If you tell your baby in high school it's okay to have sex outside of marriage and you give them rubbers and you put them on the pill, then all of a sudden when they get a little older, you're trying to tell them it's wrong. It's too late for that. You didn't compromise already. If you start getting high with them in the house, talking about I'd rather you drink here than be out down the road drinking, and then trying to tell them they can't drink in your house later, you didn't compromise. It's too late now. All right, I'll get off of it. All I'm trying to say is Eli had his chance. To model righteous behavior. And because he refused to discipline them early, he got no influence now. Can I tell you, can I tell you what's bad? It's bad when you lose your influence. You can lose your money. You can lose your job. You can lose your savings. But baby girl, don't lose your influence. When you lose your influence, you've lost your witness. You know what's wrong with the church in many parts of America? She got no influence. 
And because she got no influence, the world ain't listening to nothing she got to say. She looked like Lot. Lot tried to warn, y'all remember the story. Warned the men in Sodom not to take the angels, didn't he? To violate the men, but he had been in Sodom so long, he had no influence. And somebody looking at me right now, you like Eli, you done lost your influence in your family. Your kids ain't trying to come to God. Why? Because your influence is gone. Some of you got homeboys and homegirls you wish you could reach, but you ain't reaching them. Why? Because you lost your influence. They knew you were a Christian when you got high with them the first time. They knew you were a Christian when you took them to Vegas to gamble. They knew you were a Christian when you cheated on your wife with them. Come on, talk to me. And now you have lost your influence. You tried to witness to your kids, but they caught you one too many times, slipping and dipping. And now they don't care nothing about you getting up on Sunday morning going to church. It don't mean nothing. Because you lost your influence. This text is alarming on so many levels. Because he was old, had no influence, had compromised his witness, God has to get Eli's attention. It's in the book. I'm summarizing now because I took up too much of your time. But God raises up an unknown witness. Read it. And the man, as a prophet, comes to the priest to prophesy to him. And he reminds him what thus said the Lord. Isn't that something? Here you are, a leader in the ministry. Somebody who ought to know the voice of the Lord. Ought to walk with the Lord. But God, every now and then, I'll bring a total stranger your way to pronounce the judgment of God upon you and your house. And when Eli hears this message, Eli hears, first of all, Eli, I called your daddy to be a priest. I called him way back in Egypt before I brought them from under Pharaoh. And he operated in the priesthood for over... Uh, uh, 200 years. Well, no, that's wrong. He operated from the time they left Egypt to walking through the wilderness, which was a little over 40 days. And then he set up the sacrificial system in the temple. And you inherited what your daddy taught you. Now, why is it, Eli? And then he goes down to remember, right, how he set up the offerings. Didn't I tell your father? Y'all got that right there? He says, didn't I choose him from the tribes? Didn't I give to your house all the offerings? Why now do you, in your priesthood, kick against my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? Look at this. Eli, why have you changed the ministry that your father had now that you have, Eli, why are you trying to do something new? 
when that wasn't your assignment. When he says this to Eli, he says, why do you kick at my sacrifice? And how is it that you've honored your sons more than me? Eli finds himself in trouble with the Lord. And he's in trouble with the Lord because he despised the Lord's offerings. And he honored his sons. Here it is. More than idolatry. A friend in my library whispered in my ear and said, Psst, what he did was idolatry. Wow. He really worshipped his sons more than God. And as a result of that, God calls him on his own sin. Well, as I get ready to close, let this be a warning to the servants of God today who despise God's provisions and who honor people more than God. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The rest of the story warns Eli because he's done this judgment and is going to, and rather God judgment is going to come to his house. Because he's done this, his sons that he has put before God are going to be killed by God. Next week when we come back, we're going to see judgment fall to his family as a result of his inability to lead them spiritually. You listen to me, men. Listen to me. When you fail to lead your family spiritually, God ain't going to blame the woman. He's going to blame you. You might try to lie like Adam. It's the woman you gave me. The judgment still going to start with you. And Eli in this text, yes, is getting ready to experience the wrath of God. Brothers, don't put your woman before God. I know she your queen, she the cream in your coffee, she the dream in your whatever. Don't you put her before God. I know your babies are adorable and you love them and I hope we have lots more in this church, but don't you honor your kids above God? No, y'all better listen in here. Come on, talk to me, grandparents, godparents. Listen, don't you honor them kids before God. Why are you putting them in soccer above worship? That's honoring them above God. Why are they playing basketball and football instead of being in children's church studying the Bible? That's honoring them before God. You got six other days out the week. Don't take the Lord's day and now honor them above God. That's idolatry. as I close this sermon I'm struck at the blatant disrespect and disobedience of Eli and his sons what a tragedy he could have obeyed the Lord and had sons that loved the Lord but because he honored them above God he let them grow and go in the wrong direction See, when you allow your children to disobey God when they're in your house, you can't hold God responsible for what they turn out to be. An unknown Arthur wrote these words, and I hope you get good and mad right here. 
The aim of this sermon was not to make you happy and shout you on the way to your car. But the aim of this message was to make you evaluate your stewardship with God. What type of parent am I? What type of parent will I be? An unknown Arthur wrote these words. He says, yes, you call me master, but you obey me not. Yes, you call me light, but you see me not. Yes, you say I'm the way, but you don't walk with me. Yes, you say I'm the life, but you don't desire me. Yes, you say I'm wise, but you don't follow me. Yes, you say I'm fair, but you're not in love with me. Yes, you call me rich, but you don't ask me for what you need. Yes, you call me eternal, but you don't seek to live with me. Yes, you call me gracious, but you don't trust in me. Yes, you call me noble, but you won't serve me. Yes, you call me mighty, but you don't honor me. Yes, you call me just, but you don't fear me. So if I condemn you, don't blame me. An unknown writer. As I close, when the believer's kids go bad, you can't blame God. If they don't believe in the God of heaven and earth, by the time they become adults, you can't blame God. As a believer, raising kids, if you grow, if they grow to believe or to not believe in him, we can't blame him. If they don't grow to trust in him, we can't blame God. If they don't grow, or rather, if they grow to reject his death at Calvary, you can't blame God. If they grow to hate the Jesus of the scripture, the one who died and shed his precious blood on the old rugged cross, you can't blame God. If they don't believe that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, he descended into hell and he took the sting out of death and victory over the grave and rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. If they reject that doctrine, you can't blame God. The blame is on us. Why is it on us, Pastor? Why is it on us? Because we're a generation that should have honored God before them. We're a generation that should have raised them to know who the God of heaven and earth is. We're a generation that should have taught them who and why and what loving God and being a Christian was all about. So let Eli's mistake be a warning to every God-fearing parent and parent-to-be. As a result of Eli's Failed discipleship. Here it is and I'm through. His sons bust hell wide open. Is it possible to go to hell from the church? It is if your parents are not serious about their discipleship. It is if your parents don't honor God. 
It is if your parents don't check sinful behavior in the house of God. I'm through preaching. But my woe is this. If you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, the love of God compels you to come unto him, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and God will give you rest. The love of God compels you to come unto him and receive the wonderful free gift of everlasting life. The love of God says that God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life is free, but it's not cheap. It cost Jesus his very life out on the cross. But he died for you because he loves you. And he had to die because your sins killed him. The Bible says that you can repent, you can tell God you're sorry and give him your life. And he will give you everlasting life. You're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus I beg you, I plead with you to come today. Secondly, if you're here today and you're a parent, you have neglected or abdicated your parental role in teaching your children. Or maybe you've honored them before God. I'm calling on you to repent today, publicly before God, that God might have mercy on your kids and turn their hearts before their minds are given over to a state where they'll never come back and believe. And then maybe you're an auntie or uncle or godmom or somebody here, and you want to pray for the one you love. Because this might not be you, but you know somebody in this state. Won't you come? The scripture teaches us that everything written in the word of God it's for our learning. This story, painful as it is, it's for our learning. Would you stand with me? I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Preachers, come and surround this altar for me. Mm -hmm.